from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, new reports of election interference attempts by Iran and Russia emerged this past week, prompting a warning from federal officials, though no votes have been compromised. We'll talk with David Sanger, national security correspondent for The New York Times, about how to guard against foreign efforts to influence the vote. First, though, we'll tell you about a new podcast hosted and created by Farai Chidea called Our Body Politic. It's by and for black women and women of color about how we can save and improve our own lives and that of our nation. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. There's a new show and podcast created and hosted by my guest Farai Chidea called Our Body Politic. It reports on how black women and women of color experience and influence the major political events of today and how improving our lives is connected to improving our nation. Chidea has covered the last six presidential elections for outlets including CNN, NPR, and 538. Welcome to Forum, Farai Chidea. Thanks, Mina. Thanks for joining us. The last couple of episodes of our body politic, they've included topics like the surge in gun buying among black Americans, women of color and the Republican Party and the gender gap among black conservatives. What are some of the subjects that you've wanted to cover that this project has really allowed you to do? I think overall, what we're really concerned with is that women of color have a lot of commonalities despite vast differences. One of the biggest commonalities and the reason for doing this show is that women of color are poorly understood and quantified by the political press. We're kind of viewed as, you know, this kind of uh, random occasional story as opposed to being integral to American politics. Mm. And as someone who's covered voter demographics and demographics period for more than 25 years, I really am interested in the differences between community. Like no one would claim that a New York Puerto Rican who lives in the Bronx is the same as a Tejano who really knows anything about America. Yet both of them are Latina, and both of them are in some ways expected to be quantified similarly. And so what I think we bring is nuance and complexity and variety and inclusion. Yes, variety. I mean, when you talk about uh, demographics, you've also said women of color, you refer to them as a super demographic. What do you mean by that? Precisely the, the variety, you know, so I'm someone who grew up Catholic in Baltimore, uh, which is in Maryland, aka Maryland, a Catholic colony. So a lot of people expect that all black people are Protestants if they are any religion. But now we have obviously a lot of black Muslims in certain places like Louisiana and Maryland. There's a lot of black Catholics. Um, my family has a lot of military members. Um, most people of color are overrepresented in the military compared to whites. And so the, the idea of the super demographic is to have a sense of historical context, not just who are we now and how are we quantified now, but 
well, why is it that I grew up in a Catholic family? I mean, there's a long history dating back to the founding of America that explains some of my cultural DNA. And my father, uh, who's passed on, was an immigrant who was part of the early wave of African immigrants and who became a naturalized citizen. That's another part of America's cultural DNA. And so the super demographic should be understood as a series of different communities and the people who represent them. And all of us deserve to be treated by, with respect by journalism as a profession. And, and also, and I can't control this part, by political analysts who tend to um, speak in very broad terms about Black women or Latinas or Asian American women or Native American women, except that Asian American women and Native American women rarely get spoken about at all, you know, uh, but certainly black women and Latinas are kind of painted in these broad inaccurate strokes. And, uh, you know, I think that this is a time for our country where we're seeing so many different fissures um, of race, of religion, mm -hmm. of uh, political polarity, left, right, but they're always complicated. So Latino Catholics are different from Latino evangelicals in their voting patterns. And I just wanna, I just wanna be able to acknowledge and to um, embrace all of that with some cultural competency. We're talking with journalist Farai today about her new podcast and radio show, Our Body Politic, running weekly episodes now through January. And Our Body Politic has a running question that we'd like to invite you, our listeners, to weigh in on as well, if you'd like, particularly women of color. What issue is most important to you as a voter and why? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786, or you can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or email your thoughts to forum at kqed.org. For right, today you've been open about the ways that you were shut out of or blocked or undermined from covering certain topics before. And I wonder, does this show come in part from your own personal experience of being denied the chance to tell the truth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, if you go to my personal blog, which is farai.com, I hid most of my blog posts, not because I'm ashamed of them, but because they're pretty irrelevant. But one that isn't, that's still up, is called The Call to Whiteness. And it was a direct reaction to having covered voter demographics for 538 and never being able to convince my editors to run anything significant about the rise of xenophobia and white nationalism in this country. And then all of a sudden, the election happens and people are like, wow, that's a thing. So I just sort of, in a fit of intellectual peak, uh, took out a bunch of loose pages, wrote out what turned out to be a 3,700 word essay longhand because I'm a very visual thinker. So I take pages and I move them around on a desk and it, 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 it says that it's a draft, but after I finished it and posted it in draft form, I was like, well, this is kind of a complete thing in and of itself. And I talk about not only how people miss the obvious signs of the rise of xenophobia and, and white nationalism. Um, you know, the, the way that, for example, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who was the first person pardoned by President Trump, really created, uh, you know, the playbook of demonizing Mexicans in order to win elected office, but also what I call the failure of establishment whiteness to recognize this threat. Because 
establishment whiteness is, you know, it can be of either uh, party, but establishment whiteness is this belief that sort of race just works itself out. We live in a meritocracy, et cetera. And establishment whiteness did not realize that it itself was being threatened by the rise of white nationalism. People think of people of color being threatened by white nationalism and white supremacy, but establishment whiteness itself was being challenged for dominance in the political narrative. And I think we've seen that come true over the past four years. So, um, when I did, uh, you know, this in, in the most recent episode, I spoke with Tremaine Lee about an episode of his podcast, Into America, um, and he's an amazing Pulitzer-winning reporter, but we got into some of these questions about, you know, specifically his episode on why Black people are arming themselves, and it's because establishment whiteness, which also tends to control a lot of the structures of law enforcement, has not really protected people of color, particularly black people. And now we see a rise in gun ownership among people who identify as political liberals, younger people, black people, and other people of color. This does not make me happy, but it's all stuff that flows out of stories that we should have been telling four years ago, 10 years ago, et cetera. Yes. And I think, I mean, what you're saying really underscores the point about how talking about these stories, that particular important story, but also it's a story by a journalist and by voices of journalists that we have not heard from um, or centered uh, as, as really important to understanding the nation. And this point that I also really highly recommend people read your Medium posts that the marginalization of journalistic voices has impoverished our nation and imperiled our nation as well as by impoverishing our discourse. I think that it's such an important point. And one of the things that I really liked about your new show is that you have this way for people to engage and really share their thoughts and experiences. Can you talk a little bit about Speak? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's a, a woman named Sharon Chang, who is part of the Guild of Future Architects, which is a futurist, uh, a membership-based futurist society. And we're going to feature them on later episodes of Our Body Politic to lead us through a collective visioning of the future we want to live in. And when she heard that I was doing this radio show, she was like, oh, you know, I have this friend who helps run this narrative analysis platform speak. And it has been used for years and by government and by private industry. And they're now letting us kind of beta test it in media. And so what it does is it allows people to leave anonymous voicemails or fill out a Google form and tell us what's on their mind in plain language. It's sort of the difference between, you know, how, um, you know, and believe me, I, I actually loved the Dewey Decimal System, but in order to search for books in the past, you know, back in the day, you had to understand how the Dewey Decimal System worked and where to go find things. And then we moved to natural language search and you'd be like, oh, that book is filed over here and, you know, Google, et cetera. And so this is the equivalent of natural language search for people's ideas. And you have to get, you know, I, I won't go too deep in the weeds, but um, I once uh, was at a presentation where 
it was announced that a certain person had a, a PhD in sarcasm detection. And just that very concept, you know, like, because you can say things in natural language and they can be sarcastic or they can be straightforward. You could use the word cash, loot, money, dollars, you know? And so it's really fun to have access to a system that can understand how people use language and pull out these narratives mm. for us to track and and also just give us a sense of what people want to hear on the show it's really exciting and i'm very glad that you brought it up and you and you gave the call out well this listener tweets i've listened to the last few episodes of our body politic it's a super terrific mix of interviews news bits and commentary long may it run and Aww. of course, our body politic airs 6 p.m. on Saturdays here on KQED and streams on KQED.org. But for Aichidea, for others who want to hear it, what other ways can they get it? Well, if they go to farai.com, my first name, F-A-R-A-I.com slash O-B-P, the initials are body politic, um, or they just put in our body politic, uh, they'll find it. So that. There, it's on, you know, Apple is a new and noteworthy podcast. It's on iHeartRadio's podcast app. So we're basically on podcast apps. We stream on KQED as well as airing on KQED. So, you know, um, there's a lot of different ways people can access it. Farai Chadea, her new podcast is Our Body Politic. The show reports on how black women and women of color experience the major political events of today and how they're impacting those very issues. Thanks so much for talking with us. Mina, really enjoyed it. Thank you.